Okay, that was fun. I just, uh, I, I, can't, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. So uh, how's everybody doing today? Uh, I think uh, Vin's out there and Adam's out there. I think we are, we are covering the globe like never before. There were some people sort of typing greetings from South Africa, France. We had some Australia in there as well. Yeah. Is anyone else here from faraway places? I know we have people spanning um, uh, the United States. Stevens from Carl, That's like kind of Carl, like I, country. I'm too loud, Carl. Okay, that's easily fixable. Okay, hopefully that's a little better. Cool. Vesta, New York. All right, James. Well done. All, uh, New Brunswick, Canada. Excellent. Um, so I think the best the best we have is uh, France. We've got some New Mexico. Excellent. Good stuff. Alaska, Alaska not bad. Not going to complain. I think that's pretty good. So... Um, Hey, before we get started, we've got a really cool thing going on um, on our Facebook page here for the next month. It's our great bagpipe giveaway of 2013. Have you seen that, Vin? Have you entered yet? I have seen that. I have uh, shared it on my Facebook wall. You haven't entered? I have entered. Oh, you have entered. Excellent. Pretty, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's really cool. I think, yep, I just gave you the link there. Um, if you go there... Uh, Andrew A. says, Doogie is loud and Vin is quiet. Okay, I will fix that. Yes, my gain may be a little bit high. Let me uh, crank it down a little bit here. How about that? Is that better? That's a little better. I don't like being, I don't like being silenced, mind you, but... Uh, <laughs> Is this your way of saying that Vin should be the number one host of the show instead of being number two? Because um, if that's what you're saying, you can forget about it. The volume. Oh, and Andrew, Andrew's just clarifying to say that's not what he wants. He wants me to stay number one, and that's what's important. Um, so, uh, but yes, yeah, so we got the bagpipe giveaway going on. It's kind of cool. Um, it's uh, you go on there, you like our page, um, and if you give us your email, we'll let you know if you win the contest. But basically, um, on Dojo Universe on June 26th, we're going to draw the winner. And uh, we're actually going to draw, I think how we're going to do it is, we're going to draw five, I think we're going to draw five winners. We're going to draw five names, because we're just going to have one list of people. So step one is we're going to draw five names. And then of the five names that we draw, the person with the most shares, okay, so the person who has shared the promotion the most times is going to win the set of bagpipes. So it's sort of a two-part thing. I think that's how we're going to do it. Really? Bruce says, how many times? Like shares of shares, does that count? When people share something from your shared wall or something? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, so... Uh, that's exactly how it works. So you share it, and then we have a our the application that we're using to run the promotion. They they give us uh, you know sort of tracking results. So they say, okay, so here are the person. So as a matter of fact, let me um, while I'm thinking of it, let me see if what if I were to just sort of bring it up and see who's in the lead right now, uh, and uh, and we'll see what happens. 
if anything. I always wanted to take a set of those those poly pipes and paint them different colors and adorn them with various decorations. This sort of, sort of plain black. It's getting a little tired. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think obviously different color polypinko is in order eventually, um, as well. You know what I'm saying? Having a hard time hearing. Vin's having a hard time hearing. We're having a hard time hearing you as well. I'm not sure what that means. Glitter and rhinestones. Oh. Yeah, there we talk. There we go. Some okay. LED lights in there. That. So things are happening. So let's see. So uh, it would appear that Bill Wright is actually in the lead right now. I won't tell you by how much uh, with the most shares. However, the users with the mo the user with the most invitations accepted. So when they share it and the most people that have you know responded to it, uh, it looks like we have a duo participating: Kristen and Mark Maguth are in the lead with the, uh, the number I've accepted. So anyway, um, hopefully you guys saw that link. I'll post it one more time. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's how you enter the contest. And obviously we want to get tons and tons of participation. Even if you already have a set of pipes, you should enter to win anyway so that you can give it to a friend or have it for, or have it for a student. Or, for a rainy day, literally. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, so anyway, check it out and, uh, you know, it's kind of a cool thing that we're doing on our Facebook wall. So that's right. Or if you're a drummer, you can use it for a drink. That's yeah. correct. I'm sure. Yeah. The, the poly pipes are good for all kinds of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I don't know, Carl, what would you say the value of those pipes are? Like what would they usually sell at for retail? Probably six or 700 bucks, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a great set and, uh, I think you, you nailed that. I don't know offhand. The, the exact value, but yeah, it's somewhere right around there, um, six seven hundred bucks for for that set. So you're definitely getting a good uh, uh, a good deal there. That's right. You can use them in the bathtub too. Oh, cool! Absolutely. <laughs> you can definitely do that. So yeah, they must have tweaked. I wonder if the volume is somehow different here because that was way too loud for you too, Carl. They, maybe Adobe changed or something. I'm not quite sure. But uh, but anyway, so uh, so yeah, uh, enter our contest. I guess is the thesis statement of that opening segment. Okay, so um, so we got a couple of things going on today. One of the things is I completely forgot that Adam Quinn was going to join us today when I first sent out the, the the emails and stuff. So so we have two important things happening. Number one is we have some maintenance tricks that are going to go on. Uh, and then number two is we're going to get to know Adam a little bit because Adam is doing a premium class, teaching a premium class at Dojo University starting um, next week. Why don't, why don't we start with that? And then if we have like, you know, one of those awkward moments, then uh, maybe Carl can present his magic maintenance trick of the day. So, uh, um, so I, I, Adam, are you out there? I'm out here. Excellent. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us. And uh, maybe you and Vin could talk a little bit, because I know Vin was working with you about, you know, designing the course and stuff like that. So maybe you, can you talk a little bit about what's going to go on? Sure. Um, yeah, basically, Vin had uh, contacted me and asked if I would teach a course about some of my music. And I think that it's called, what, Floating on the Blue Cloud, the music of Adam right. Quinn. Is that right? Floating on the Blue Cloud, yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously one of the tunes we're going to be hitting is the Blue Cloud, but the first uh, class next week, I'm going to give a bit of an overview of some of my uh, competitions or composition styles, um, talk through um, a variety of things throughout the class, including like the use of harmony, the use of slides. Um, it kind of ties into a class from a couple of weeks ago, Andrew, about the use of arpeggios and how that fits in with uh, composition styles. So, uh, yeah, the first week I'm going to hit some of that and uh, do a little lesson on sliding, which is one of my favorite things. And uh, we'll start learning the Blue Cloud, and then there's a handful of other tunes that we're going to be hitting um, through the six weeks. Can't hear you, Andrew. Yeah, I, mu I muted myself temporarily there. I think that um, I think the blue cloud really puts you on the map as sort of being one of the world's top authorities on slides. You know, um, can you give us a little bit of a can you can you give us a little bit of history about the blue cloud? Like, I'm sure there are uh, plenty of people here who don't really know the significance of that tune. And then uh, maybe you could even talk a little bit about slides. Like, give us a little bit of a preview. Uh, sure. Um, the blue cloud originated. <laughs> back when I was living in Canada, um, playing with SFU in the late 90s. And the blue cloud was actually not a cloud. It was the name of um, a car. And the car belonged to Piper at SFU at the time, Anthony Kerr, who actually happens to be my brother-in-law. He lives in Calgary right now. Um, yeah. But the, the car was a beast. It was like a 1972 Buick station wagon that had been back and forth across Canada probably about six or seven times, and the same thing back and forth the West Coast down to Mexico and back to Vancouver. And Anthony inherited it. We were both students. He was poor. He got it for free. The windows on the right side of the car would not go up. They were permanently down. The radio <laughs> would just kind of turn on by itself as you're driving along. And the classic thing about the car is it would not go in reverse. So the challenge in driving it was in Vancouver, always parking on a hill so that you could either back out or pull out forward without having to worry about being in reverse. So uh, Anthony was a bit of a fun, crazy guy. He had uh, long hair and would drive across the border, um, you know, to games in the in the States and have his shirt off and just be like, oh, yeah, man, how's it going? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here, you know, the SFU pipe band. And, you know, they let him into the, uh, into the games and stuff. So the the tune is really kind of a testament to the car and just Anthony himself. And so the slides are meant to be very comical elements of it all. And uh, you'll notice as you go through the tune itself, it, it goes from like, you know, a couple of major parts and then it slips into a minor part, a little bit more major. Fifth part is, is definitely more of a minor keyed element. And then the last part is very uh, slide, slide oriented, lots of slides. And like the minor keys are kind of depicting moments and situations where Anthony would be in the car and uh, kind of getting into some trouble or, you know, heaven forbid, stopped by the cops or customs or something like that. And then making it through on the other side and always this kind of his Aussie free spirit attitude, just laughing it off. So that's a bit of the history of the tune. Yeah, I can that's definitely attest to deserving uh, of a tune. <laughs> yeah, and I could definitely attest to, and then Adam, I know you're aware of this too. There's definitely, I'm not sure everyone's aware of that. There's a definite subculture going on inside of the SFU Pipe Band organization where cars like this tend to, you know, there, there tend to be instances like this car that just sort of, you know, scenarios that come up that exist like that. And it's very, it's very kind of funny. And there's a very sort of, uh, you know, kitschy, campy sort of element to the, the social part of playing in the band, you know, people, people having good times and doing crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, so that was always a really fun part of the band. Definitely. And as a composer, it's always good to have an excuse to write a new tune. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, and then, so the blue cloud, um, it was played by SFU, like in sort of grandiose fashion for a long time. So, 
So that must be that must be a pretty cool thing to ha- hang your hat on. Oh yeah, definitely. It was it was funny how it emerged because um, right as we were preparing for the Carnegie Hall show in um, early '98 is when Stuart Little came out from uh, Scotland and, and moved to Canada, and I had just written the tune maybe a couple of weeks earlier and was just warming up with it at band practice. Uh, and Stuart came up and he goes, "What is that tune?" And I told him, and he said, "I need I need the music for that." And it was literally three weeks later that he performed it live at Carnegie Hall. So. That definitely was a big door opener for uh, for me. And then when SFU bookmarked the uh, Down Under CD with that tune, that was a big surprise to me. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was oddly enough one of those tunes that as a composer, I had very little revision after I wrote it. I basically sat down, kind of almost channeled it in about an hour and a half. And after that, I'd say that most of the tune was was not even touched. It was pretty much done. Yeah, it's very interesting. What do you think, um, just out of sort of comical curiosity, you know, what do you think the probability of um, Jack and Terry Lee adopting the tune for the band, what do you think the probability would be, you know, had Stuart not picked it up? Because I think it might be, it might, in retrospect, it might have been kind of funny. Like, you know, if, if you were just like, hey, Jack, I think the band should play this tune, and he'd be like, you know, uh, and I mean this in a funny way, he'd, he'd say something like, oh, it's too crazy, it's too crazy. Um, but then... The funny part was, I, I bet you it was it was uh, Jack's idea that the band should play it after after it was such a big hit when when Stewart picked it up. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's possible. I, it's hard to say. I, I don't even know whose idea it was to have the band play it, but um, yeah, Stewart just did a brilliant performance of it and and really opened the doors. And it was after that, actually, before the band started playing it, Terry asked me if we could put it in the medley and take out all the slides. And I said, Terry, there's no way you can take the slides out of that tune. It, it is the tune. So uh, I, I basically shot him down from putting the tune in the medley, but I'm glad that I did because it's, it's way more of a performance piece, you know? That's kind of what I mean, though. I, I, and I think, you know, and it, it, it's always a very, it's a very interesting thing. And by the way, I totally see as a pipe major of like, uh, you know, a grade one band, I could totally see like where this mentality comes from. But, you know, like as far as adding stuff to the band repertoire, it, it has to be, you know, they, they, they take a very conservative approach in regards to, you know, what they add just because of the inherent risks of, of how it would go over, you know, competitively. So, um, yeah. So that's, uh, but at the same time, I think some of the tunes that SFU takes a risk on, like the Blue Cloud, and then, you know, later they did they did the Mason's Apron full on as well with like the hand thing. And, you know, um, I think the risks that they take are some of the most, you know, the most incredible aspects of the band. Uh, and the band is definitely one to be able to pull it off. Right, exactly, totally. Excellent. So, so yeah, that's that's pretty cool. You did some other music too, like um, I'm trying to remember. Trying to band, remember on, the band on that on that Down Under album, they also featured a uh, Hold On. Yeah, Hold On. That was it. Which is real, and I. Something. Yeah, yeah, and that's classic. One of my one of my favorite things is writing harmonies and. I've got a handful of tunes that are, you know, two parts or four parts that I've got full harmony lines for across all the parts. So I typically play through it once through straight and then once through with full harmonies. And um, that's what the band did on that CD. And I I really enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. I think Hold On is a great tune, too. I think it's like I think it's a a diamond in the rough type tune. And, uh, you know, I I thought it was one of the highlights of, of the Down Under album. So. So, uh, so that's really cool. And so your class is going to be, you're basically going to go into, uh, you're going to go into uh, a lot of this music and, and dive into it. And so I think it's going to be a really cool, 
a really cool Dojo U feature. Well, thank you very much. I hope so. Um, okay. Adam, where, where do you get, uh, when you sort of sit down and sort of think of these tunes, where are you getting your inspiration from? Are you getting it from the music, or are you sort of thinking about things, experiences like riding <laughs> in a car <laughs> that was, didn't go in reverse, or some other... Well, so um, yeah, it, it it kind of varies. Sometimes, a lot of times, this I'll get I'll get a little lick stuck in my head, and it might turn out to be like the third part part of a hornpipe or something that I'll just get stuck in my head. And now, thank goodness to technology, I've got my iPhone where I just hit the record and I'll either sing it in if I'm like in the car or something, just so that I remember what it is, or or if I have my chanter on me, I'll just play it through as like a little sketch and then build a tune around that. And a lot of times, just uh, you know, names of bagpipe tunes is always a fun thing, and there's you know, always a reason to name a tune for one reason or another. And so a lot of times I'll just get a name will come up in a conversation. I'll be like, yeah, that's, that's gotta be a name for a bagpipe tune. And I'll jot down the name and then eventually piece it together with a melody that I, you know, kind of come up with, but I'm looking for a name for. Does it ever happen the other way where you sort of just, you have the name and you sort of thinking it's just always rolling around in your head. Like there's gotta be a tune attached to this and eventually it just attaches itself to something. Yeah, I think that that's happened a couple of times. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. There, there was one instance. Um, there's a suite that I wrote called Port Ferry, and, and actually, Andrew, here's a, a segue that kind of extends out to the conservativeness of SFU. But I've recorded it on my um, my Celtic Fusion Bands album, Lucid Druid. Um, but it's it's basically in, in four segments, and it starts off as a three-four march. And Port Ferry is a tiny town down in Australia that um, is on the coast of Victoria, and there are probably about 3,000 people, but they have a music festival that goes on every year um, that explodes to about 30,000, 35,000 people for the weekend. And in the music festival, they have two massive tents. One of them is the Stout Tent, and they serve Guinness and I think Kilkenny, and that's it. And they have Irish and Scottish theme music playing 24/7, pretty much. Have to go to, and they, to Australia for this? Yeah, oh my unfortunately. <laughs> and right across from that tent is a wine tent where they've got like 30 different kinds of wine to sample, and they're playing jazz music the whole time. And so the suite was built up where the march is a three-four that depicts the town as it is. It's a quiet beach town in Australia. Then I jump into a three-four spay, which is a theme off of the march. Um, which is really the festival, and that's everybody coming in, and it starts exploding, and, you know, it's getting busier and busier. And then I go into a variation of it, which is um, between a reel and a waltz. And the reel is depicting the stout tent, and the waltz is depicting the wine tent. And it's going back and forth between reel and waltz and reel and waltz back and, you know, add some harmonies and stuff. And, and then it kind of recaps the march at, at the very end. Um, with a little uh, lick of the of the reel to just kind of emphasize, you know, boom, okay, it's going back to a beach town, but you know, our footprint for the festival weekend is here. And after I after I went to the festival, I was there in um, 2000. Um, I lived in Australia for a while, and uh, that was definitely something that I was like, I've got to write something for this event, but I hadn't come up with anything, and so I had the Port Ferry name idea there, and it just kind of evolved into the suite. And when we came back, um, I was teaching a piping hot summer drummer that, that year with a, a bunch of us, and, and a handful of us did it as a quartet. We ended up uh, having what became renowned as the Garbage Can Quartet, which a lot of the music either I would compose or I would kind of arrange, and four of us would play, but we could never memorize it in time. So we'd tape the music to the garbage can and perform it for all the students at Piping Hot. And we performed that um, with a couple of the drummers, and it was a huge hit. And when I presented it to Terry, 
he's like, oh, I don't know. No, that's too much for the pipe band. So uh, <laughs> he shot it down, but uh, it's a fun piece. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, all you got to do is you got to get Stuart to play a part of it in a solo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the ticket. Yeah, it can be. It's it's always very funny. I um I had the and and make no mistake, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not you know saying this in a negative light at all. You know, I think it's part of the genius of Terry Lee, but uh, I had the honor and privilege to work with Terry on some of the medleys that the band played in in the in the last you know several years I was with the group and uh you know it's a fascinating experience and it's weird it's like sometimes you know there's a good tune and you know it'd be a great fit for the band but then somehow uh, it's it's similar well no I I won't say that actually but um but uh somehow you have to make Terry agree with you that it's a good idea and if he doesn't agree then it's not going to happen and um, and yeah, it's very conservative because they want to make sure that, you know, uh, and you have to consider, especially for a band like SFU, it's like if something's going to make it into the medley or even if it's going to make it into the sort of touring repertoire, if they're going to play any significant concerts, you know, it has to be really, really good on the first listen. It has to be really exciting and really good and easy to follow. And I think that's part of it. You know, you can hear a tune and you just listen to it a trillion times and you really love that tune. But um, it doesn't always fit the bill, you know, for, for a band. And anyway, I don't know why I keep rambling about this, but, um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, I, I was on the music committee the like the last three years with SFU and wrote a lot of the harmonies during, um, the five years that I was there. And it's funny because, you know, I've obviously been keeping track of the repertoire since I've left and I've seen, I mean, I've seen things as, as, as much as a couple of years ago, um, tunes that I've recommended back in the nineties that Terry's finally pulling out and throwing into either a medley or into some of the concert sets that you know, he hangs on to everything and there's going to be a right time for it. But you know, timing is everything as you know, by pipe major too. Yeah. He's got a stack of stuff. And then, uh, it, Andrew is wondering what he initially thought of. I think he's referring to 400%, which is the name of the tune that they ended the medley with. I can tell you what he thought of it based on uh based on deductive reasoning so one of the big things terry was always opposed to um was ending a tune in the minor key like b minor and 400 percent is most certainly in b minor and uh so he must have really really loved the tune because not only did it make it in but it ended up being the uh you know the end of the medley so so my speculation is he must have really liked 400% right from the beginning. And, uh, and I don't blame him. I think it's a really, really cool composition. So I don't know. Um, is that Andrew Adams or no, Andrew a, so it must be a different one, different Andrew, but, but anyway, um, cool. So, um, Adam, you sent us over some music. It looks like Vin is loaded in, um, optimum trajectory. Let's have a listen. What are we, uh, what are we about to listen to? So this is a sketch that I've done um, a little while ago, and it's it's uh, it's been a fun piece. One of my favorite things as a composer, especially in recent years, is multiple time signatures or just dabbling in different time signatures. And this one's in 10-8. And the main idiom is hard to pick up at the very beginning because there's a lot of long notes, but is one two three one two three one two one two um, is the feel throughout the piece. And this is going to be um, the first single off of the new Lucid Druid album. We're hoping to record it next month. Um, but it's got four-part bagpipe harmonies, and it's kind of in three different parts. The first is, is the intro, and it builds up, and the harmonies kind of grow. The second part is, I don't even know what you call it, but it's it's <laughs> it's a it's a it's a running tune, you know, da da dee dee da da it and gets out of the held notes, and it, it kind of just extends right through the tune. Four parts, and then the last part 
um, kind of builds upon what the first part did and throws the harmonies back in your face and, and kind of comes out to uh, a nice conclusion. So uh, yeah, let's, let's go for it. I'd love to hear it. Thanks. Cool. So this is a sketch. So this isn't like a completed product yet, right? It's just like a, or, or is it? I, I don't know. No, no, it's just on practice channel. So, you know, we're, I'm going to be recording it on the pipes and we'll be adding, um, hand, we've got hand drum and guitar and bass and uh, drum set playing on it as well. So hopefully the single will be ready by about the world's time is what I'm hoping for. Excellent. Cool. Well, here it goes. You might, um, we, we need to mute our microphones. Yeah. So that it doesn't feed back. One, two, one, two. That's really excellent. We had Thanks. some great, we had some, we had uh, some great de descriptive adjective type words uh, coming in. On the I channel. love it. <laughs> yeah. 
So, that was um, a good question to, to Steven's question about getting all the channers in tune. I just basically did that on a four track off my Mac, so it's, I use the same channer. Yes, that's my an easy way over. to get them in tune is to have the, the same one. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, that, that might be the only solution. And then, yeah, because Steven is saying this is a PETA for our band. And for those who aren't familiar with what PETA means, it's uh, something that we can't really say on the air. Although I wouldn't put it uh, past Vin on occasion. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, uh oh, see now Bruce is getting Bruce is getting critical here. Like a little couple of boring places in the middle. Uh oh. All right. Well, you'll have to yeah, Bruce, you'll have to wait to hear the single with the rest of the band. It's uh it's an interesting tune. The the music that I play is very kind of jam band oriented, and it's mostly my compositions and um I've got a wicked hand drummer who actually makes his own African djembes. And um, the stuff that we play when we add the rhythms on top of it is very fun, especially when we're dabbling in multiple time signatures like that. So the points where you think might be boring when the harmonies are pulled out are being enhanced by um, the other elements of the band that isn't included really in the sketch. Cool. Yeah, um, uh, Gordon has said he joined late. Who was that? Um, uh, so, yes, we're on with Adam Quinn today. So Adam is a renowned composer um, who played with SFU and is now in the Florida area. Um, hey, Adam, one of the things I was kind of surfing the net as I listened. Um, so you're kind of a Twitter guy. How many people uh, here do you speculate are your Twitter followers? I really don't know. That's a good question. I've got a, I've got a weird mix of Twitter because I tweet about bagpipes and I tweet about SharePoint, which is a program by Microsoft that I work with. And so I, uh, I actually did a, a conference a little while back to which I was able to pull the worlds together where I was opening the keynote doing the bagpipes and the keynote speaker was beatboxing to me while we had a Beastie Boys drum track laying down on the back end. So uh, it, was, it was pretty fun because the people on the SharePoint world were like, why is he always tweeting about this bagpipe stuff? And now they got it when I got to perform for them. Likewise, I think some of my bagpipe followers might get sick of me tweeting some SharePoint stuff, but uh, yeah, I, I really don't know. Excellent. Well, um, if you want to follow Adam, that's his uh, Twitter handle there at Lucid Piper. He often, uh, he, oft, he will often respond to our question of the day there on Twitter. So um, so that's what reminded me. Might as well promote your uh, Twitter account. Yeah, yeah so that, that was really cool. One of the things that comes out to me right there is you're really not, um, uh, and, and I mean this in a good way, you're really not doing anything completely mind-blowingly complicated there. Like you are, um, you're definitely expo exploring a, a, a chord progression on repeat, sort of that jam band thing um, that you were referring to is, is something jam bands will do a lot. So the, generally speaking, you know, at least uh, for the most part, there's a repeating chord progression and you're using arpeggios quite a bit. And, and then, you know, different pipers are playing different parts of the chord at different times. And that's what's getting you that nice, uh, that nice sort of harmonic uh, thing going on. I mean, um, would you agree with that? Or would you say that you are doing super complicated stuff? No, I'd say that everything I try to keep structured within reason. Um, and there is an underlying structure, even though sometimes it's not always obvious on the surface to fight through the madness. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a good, you know, summary of it. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I try to dabble into different harmonic styles through the tune. So, like, as in the beginning part, I almost do what I've enjoyed doing recently with some slowers and stuff, almost what I call like a barbershop quartet harmony, where you all start off on the same note and then you layer as you go up. So I had the arpeggios, oh, be -dee, oh, do -be -dee, and they all 
you know, the B stays on the B and then, you know, the E hits on the E and then the high G continues up the scale. And, um, you know, I like doing that. Another thing that I like doing is near the very end, the second last part is kind of crazy because you have four bagpipe lines and they're all playing a different chord while they're all coming back down to either B or low A in between. So you get these stabs of harmonies, you know, and, and then you get these little bump bumps in the middle with the B's and the low A's. And I've done that in a handful of my tunes as well. And those are just two things that I, I enjoy doing when I'm doing harmonies. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and so I guess, yeah, the, the only point I was trying to raise is that, uh, you know, I think you're, uh, I'm sort of just bridging from last week where we talked about chord progressions and uh, yeah. And, and then there's a million different ways you can experiment with the, that basic idea that we were dabbling in last week. So, so that's really cool. Well, um, I, I think we have another one. Do we have another one? I think we, we have at least one. one other one. Um, so we should check that out for sure. If then uh, you got it, you got it taken care of there, Vin. And actually, Gordon had asked if that tune is going to be in the um, in the future book. Um, yeah, I think so. It's funny because after Andrew and Vince contacted me about the class, I started looking at all the music that I haven't published. My book was published in 2004, and uh, I've got a lot of new stuff. Um, some is on my new Lucid Druid album, and um, I, I've got you know tunes like this, and then I've got some arrangements of, of larger pieces that I plan to put into a second book maybe sometime um, probably next year, to be realistic. I've just kind of started with, dabbling with the idea right now. I don't want to drive my wife too crazy. Yeah, I hear you on that one. It's a lot of work to put together a book. What, uh, uh, we actually, I guess I was going to say, we don't have this up on our website yet, uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely going to as soon as possible. So you'll be, and we'll let you know, let you guys know when it goes up. But do you sell it on your website, Adam? I do, yeah. You can go to quinnmusic.net. And you can um, you can purchase that there if you want to go to lucidruid.com or on iTunes. Um, I've got all the Lucid Druid um, stuff available there as well. Cool. I'm just trying to locate uh, locate your site here, and I can try and put it up. There we go. It's loading slowly, but that's okay. Excellent. So. Uh, and Bruce says, in the final mix, will the drones work into the chord progression? That's actually an interesting question. Um, yeah, I suppose I suppose so. It's um, I mean, the drones will stay in B flat, um, but the main notes in piping tunes, I go from B, E, low A, and D, and so it's almost like the the low A would would be giving it more of a minor feel for the first two notes, and then more of a major feel for the last two notes. Um, but yeah, I think that they work in pretty well. A lot of times when you're recording with the band, the drones really kind of get lost in the mix when you're playing outside of a pipe band setting or a solo setting. So, um, I do play with drones when I record, but a lot of times you can't really hear them that well. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's been my experience too. So, uh, the drone is there and it's just sort of, it depends sort of where you are in the music as to how exactly it interacts with the chord that you're that you're playing. So uh, is the sheet music available online for this yet? And, and it would seem like maybe no is the answer to that question. No, no, that one's not available online. I've got, um, I've got a handful of tunes available on Jim McGillivray's site, pipetunes.ca as well. Um, some are in the book, some are not in the book. Cool. Um, well, here's the second uh, specimen here, Adam. What are we about to hear this time? Heather's wedding day. Oh, okay. Yeah. This one is actually in the book. And, um, 
Yeah, this is just uh, it's about that. My friend Heather got married and I wrote this tune. And um, it's funny because I had been out of, I don't know if, if you knew, Andrew, but since like 2002, I stepped out of the pipe band scene for quite a while after moving back to Florida. Um, you know, I had left SFU, played with the City of Dunedin pipe band for a couple of years, which was my, you know, where I'm from, and uh, just stepped away and, and started Lucid Druid, which now we've been doing for, this is our 10th year, actually. Um, and so I, I kind of stepped away from pipe bands and uh, pipe band compositions and, and doing my own musical style, evolving it with the band. And now, um, as of 2011, I rejoined the City of Dunedin pipe band, which is now under uh, pipe major Ian Donaldson who is formerly from 78s and Shots, and uh, he's the one who owns um, the British shop, which he still owns online, but he has a shop now here in Florida. And uh, we were looking for music, and this tune popped up. And uh, so he, he liked it and said, yeah, let's, let's do it. So I had never even arranged harmonies for the tune and ended up coming up with, when you hit the, the last part, a three-part harmony line, that's, this is pretty funky. The tune's got slides in it. It's a hornpipe. Um, but when you add the harmonies in, and especially as we hear it evolving, is uh, it's becoming kind of like the band march-off tune now. Um, it's, a, it's a really fun piece to play, and I'm, I'm planning on teaching this in the class as well. Awesome. Yeah, I, I have it. It's on page 37. I, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's, let's listen to this thing. So you even have some slides and stuff going on in the harmony lines by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. The last, the third harmony line is funny because it's all quarter notes. And it just goes, and the slide from a high G to high A. And then at the end, you know, a slide from low G to, to low A. But uh, yeah, slides in the seconds as well. So it's, it was a fun tune, and when we first put it together and, and we're playing it as a band, everybody just kind of laughed about it. It was just so ridiculous, but it, <laughs> we've got it all together, and it's, a, it's definitely oh, become a laughing tune. 
<laughs> Who's laughing now? It's now everyone's favorite tune. Yeah, cool. Excellent. That's that's really good. So um, I think without question, it's now time for Carl Donnelly to give us some sort of maintenance trick because, you know, uh, that's that's just what has to happen. Jeez, putting me on the spot today. I've got no warning about this. Uh, magical, um, mystical tip for, for maintenance. Definitely very um, loud. Throwing it out there. So how secret is Maybe this? Maybe that's a little bit better. Tip. Exactly. That's what I want to know. Yeah, how, how secret is this maintenance tip? Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's that, that very secret. Jeez. Um, <laughs> There's so many good ones to choose from. I think one of the things... Otherwise known as you don't have anything, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, I have nothing prepared. But uh, I, I think one of the things that uh, we, we talk a lot about at the dojo is, is uh, our kind of inside-out maintenance. And the, the thing that always comes to mind um, is if your bag is in airtight. And, and the reason I, I mention this is because uh, over the last day, we've now you can barely hear me. Hmm. Let's try a little bit in between. How's that? Is that any better? That's kind of like right in the middle. Um, one of the things we've we've done in the last few days is I think we've tied on or, or by the end of today, we'll have tied in eight bags in the last two days. So uh, <laughs> I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, and it's one of the most important things about the pipes, the bag, just to be able to make sure that it's one airtight. You know, is it comfortable? Is it doing everything it needs to uh, to make playing as efficient and easy and comfortable as possible? So I, I think that would be a, a good maintenance secret um, that's not so secretive at all uh, is to double check that your bags one airtight um, check your stocks if you can twist them um, in the bag that means they're leaking air uh, you shouldn't be able to spin the stocks within the bag that's a bad so sign can you show it can you show us that um yeah i'll have to like no, show us your faith in your own in your own bag pipe my own bag tying. Oops. Hang on, we're going to take a trip here. Let me turn on my webcam. All right, take this is trip. my lovely maintenance area back here. But uh, here is a very little bag. <laughs> uh, this is for one of our beginner students. It's an L&M three-quarter size bag. Very, very, very small. Um, and I haven't finished this one yet. But uh, what I'm talking about here is once you tie in a bag, or even with one of the synthetic bags, if you can twist this way and see that it's moving within the stocks, twist either way, rather, um, that means that it's not totally bonded. It's not totally airtight. Um, it's just one of those things that you should check. Um, can any of these stocks spin? They should be totally 100% glued in there with no... Um, no chance of, of spinning. So yeah. these are think, all, you know, all good. Um, and I think a lot of us, you know, and it's one of those things, I don't think you really want to do this test on games day, but you definitely want to do it the week yeah. leading up to games day because, and you really, you, sh you should really be brutal, right? There should be no way that stock's going to pop out um, because, uh, you know, most experienced pipers have all come across that at least once. 
where they're playing, they're playing, and then, oh, crap, my stock just came out. Or suddenly, uh, suddenly the bag is leaking like crazy and you can't figure out what it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one of the most discouraging things for sure is when you're playing your bagpipe and you're fighting it and trying to get it going and it's just leaking like a sieve. So, um, well, I got uh, I have a related I have a related tip for that. Okay. Um, now, if you've done your tests and you've, the stocks aren't twisting, but you still suspect you have a leak, um, it could be one of the more maddening things to try and find where that leak is coming from, and. You know, Ooh, you know I know. It's there. Put, this is what you should do. You should put your whole instrument in the bathtub, right, and see where it's leaking. <laughs> I have heard of such things rumored to be true. Oh, I have never done such true. a thing, but I have never heard do that. rumors. It's not but true. There are there are various techniques that I've heard over the years, but I've come across one that is at this point now foolproof for finding that leak, that mysterious pinhole somewhere that you just can't locate. Um, and, and that's using this stuff right here. It's kitty foam hand soap. So you can find it in any drugstore, any, and it just pumps. Let me show you some. It's got a little pump on the top, and it comes out like shaving cream. If you can see that. And you just stick that over the area where you think the leak is coming from, and it bubbles. Even the smallest leak will produce a bubble of, cool. of, of, of a pretty decent size. And this stuff is not like smell. It smells like soap, but it's not like uh, damaging. It's not wet, which is an, it's an important thing. I think, you know, put it, I've heard um, people making soapy water and doing the similar thing, but you get in, you're wetting the outside of the bag and it, that's yeah. just never a good thing. And uh, this stuff is not wet. It's just, it's dry. And all you do is wipe it off and it's just, that's basically it. So, and you have sweet-smelling pipes. They smell like blueberries in this case. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I mean, I, I think that kind of dunk your bagpipes in the pool thing came out of the old synthetic bags, which it may or may not damage. I still wouldn't want to do it because of the bagpipes. But, yeah, you certainly don't want to do that with any of the new type bags with the, the hybrids. Um, or just that's I don't know. That's scary. <laughs> no, it's it's a terrible idea. But I like the hand soap thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, really cool. Uh, it's not dissimilar from uh, like when they check your tires for leaks. Exactly. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. They get this little spray foam that goes on there just to find it because you get if once there's a lot of times these little holes can be repaired without having to tie in a brand new bag. You know, you could you could find these little holes and and fix them somehow, um, and or at least diagnose you know whether or not you need a new bag. Um, and it's and it's the least, sometimes the smallest leaks are the ones that drive you the most crazy, you know. Cool. How about you, Adam? What's your fail-safe? What's your fail-safe maintenance trick that uh, that you use all the time? Well, it's um, something I heard it back from the SFU days when um, it all comes down to just routine. But after every single time I play. Um, whether it's practicing or, uh, you know, doing solos or, or doing a band event, I, I definitely have the habit of, of taking my pipes completely apart, drying them out with brushes. Um, it, typically, I'll leave my chanter reed out for about five minutes just to give it some air before I cap it. Um, but I'd say that doing that consistently always helps keep the reeds and the pipes in a, in a good place where they are consistently sounding good and I'm not getting 
you know, a lot of um, changes, you know, when I, when I, a couple of days might go by between playing and stuff, they still stay relatively steady. And that's something that I've been doing, yeah, for probably 15 years now. Yeah, that's a good tip. I th that's probably one of the one things that I think has, I has started doing now for quite a while. And it's like vastly improved condition of the instrument, you know, it just, it makes, it keeps it more consistent and it, it just, you know, makes it perform better overall. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of that as well. It's good, uh, good practice to get in the habit of. Yes, cool. indeed. I so, think that. Andrew, what is yours? So well, we, I was hoping. Are we going to have to like magnetize the hard drive to destroy all record of of Dojo Universe to, to if once this is uttered? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I uh, I was actually hoping to sneak sneak out without without getting off the hook. Uh, hold on, let me bring up my my camera here so the the thing that i was talking about and i was thinking about this the other day when i was working with a student and i will use my practice chanter as an example uh, is uh my mine is a quick and easy way to uh change the hemp uh, uh or, or to make updates to the hemp because as we know hemp hemp swells up and it gets smaller all the time depending on how much moisture especially in a practice chanter right so we can see like here on my chanter it's it's much too loose right now. I don't know if you can see that. It's much too loose, and I need to add hemp to it, right? But here's what I don't want to do. What I don't want to do, and Vin, I'm going to make you go away so I'm bigger. What what you don't want to do is, or here's what I, I don't really personally feel like doing on a regular basis. I don't feel like taking the hemp and, like, wrapping it a little bit around, right? And then And then I have to tie, like, some sort of slip knot. You know, so I have to do one of these, then I have to wrap it around, then I have to tie it off, and I have to put it on. So, um, you know, which, however, that actually kind of worked, so I'm kind of, it's not really working, but, but I do this all the time. I do this for my drone read, or for my drone slides as well, because they need to be, uh, they need to be just the right tension without being too much. So what I actually do is I, uh, and I just kind of wanted to share it with you. So... I have my joint here, and this is, you know, where the reed would be if there was a reed or otherwise. If it was a drone slide, that's where the top would be. And, and uh, you know, most people may have picked up on this already, but a surprising number of people, right, they don't really have a plan. So here's my plan. I'm going to hold the two things uh, sort of parallel to the ground here. And the first thing I start with is I take my thumb, and I'm going to cut, and I'm going to put the hemp this way across the joint to start. Right? A lot of people try and start you know, parallel to the grain, but it's really hard for it to get a grip. So the first thing I'm going to do is I am going to put it this way, and I'm going to hold it down with my thumb just like that. And the key is that I'm going to start wrapping over top of that, uh, over top of that sort of vertical hemp. I'm going to start wrapping immediately over it, right? So it actually covers itself, and you're not going to be able to see it that well. But you can see see how the, the vertical thing is now actually being covered by my wraps of hemp. And notice I let go completely of the hemp, and it's not going to slip or slide anywhere. Okay? And I'm going to keep my wrapping all close to the top like this. I'm going to keep it all really close to the top. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold it down with my finger or with my thumb. Rather than tie a knot, I'm just going to keep it there with a nice solid pressure. And then I'm going to take the other piece and I'm going to use it to flatten down the hemp 
like this. Now, if you have a little bit too much, it's actually going to force a couple of those wraps downward. And so it kind of finishes the job for you. Right? And then uh, last but not least, okay, I'm going to take the joint like this. And you notice it's not closed yet. It's like maybe two-thirds of the way down. And I'm actually just going to rip off the hemp like this. Well, it's two-thirds of the way down. And then I'm going to finish going all the way down. And I use that technique all the time when I'm making small changes because it's quick, it's easy, and it's not messy, right? If I closed it all the way down and then ripped the hemp off, you can get those ugly hemp tails, right, that stick out. And you always get yelled at by your pipe major or teacher for that. Does that make sense? So um, I don't know if that made any sense to anyone, but that's my sort of secret standby maintenance trick that I'm using all the time. So I'm using it on my drone slides when the joints are a little bit loose on my practice chanter because my practice chanter is changing all the time. And the good thing about that too is I can sort of see, can you see my vertical threads? So if it swells up again, it's really super easy to take off as well, right? There it is. Now we're back to where we were. Super easy. Does that make sense, Vin? Did I, did I persuade you? Yes, uh, because I, I've been doing that for many years. <laughs> I hate knots yeah. on the hemp because I like taking because you want to take it off. You don't want to take it off. If you take my tie knot, you can't take it off. So you right. always want to be able to unravel one wrap or two if you need to. So you always have to leave that dangling I, end in there so you can scrape out. Yeah, and I think when we first start with the pipes, we know, okay, we know that we want hemp. So it's like, okay, we're going to do a little bit of hemp, right? And but But we don't really have a routine – you know, uh, it, or it takes a while to develop that skill to know how to do it quickly and efficiently. Because then otherwise, right, it's like, oh, it's such a pain to change hemp. And what happens is you let your maintenance lapse, right? And remember, loose joints are like one of the number one causes of a leaky bagpipe. Andrew says, how about tips for not letting a sheepskin bag dry out overnight? I don't know. Playing them before. Before you let it dry out is good. <laughs> it's a good tip. <laughs> Put it in a trash bag. Contracted trash bag. You if you're living in the desert somewhere, I guess you have that concern. But I don't. I've never That's really right. had that concern with here in, in New Jersey. It's always pretty wet enough. Yeah, and and Stephen says seasoning, but you got to be careful. It's not. <laughs> Are you sitting too close to the computer? I have not changed a thing whatsoever. I have no idea. Speak really quiet, man. Yeah, I'm going to. Um, quiet. <laughs> Stephen mentioned seasoning there, uh, and you got to be careful not to over-season the bag. Um, you know, that will shorten the lifespan as well. So there's my two cents. Nobody in uh, New Mexico would try a sheepskin. Mexico, yeah. Well, that's too bad. Sheepskin yeah. might be your only hope in New Mexico. Maybe uh, I don't know. It's, it's pretty it, like there's relatively little moisture in the air out that in that region of the country. I think it's it's probably right. best to try something else that's going to hold on to moisture a little bit longer. And I think I that's know. the number one thing. So if you, if you're in a dry region, I would recommend one thing and one thing only, which is when you're done, uh, you know, take out the take out all the pieces, cork that baby up on all five stocks, so you're not letting free air escape out of there, and then uh, put it in your pipe case and close it. Um, and, and hope for the best, right? Because, you know, if you're in a dry area, the dryness will extract the air out of the sheep. 
right? And then uh, if you're in a wet area, you're really not going to have that problem. So I would definitely give that a uh, give that a try because it does happen. Like in the winter time, right? In the winter time, if I don't play every single day, and even, sometimes even if I do, the bag is really dry the next day. It's because it's so dry here in the winter. Uh, but uh, you know, usually if I play every day, I'm okay. And then if I'm not going to play for a couple of days for whatever reason, then I take it all apart and I cork it up and close the case so that as little moisture as possible escapes. Uh, that being Jeez. said, it's really yeah. it's hard. Stephen to says that in a humid climate, Southern Ontario may just wrap pipes with a towel, which is I, I always layer my pipes in my case with towels. Like it says, just it, you know, number one, it like keeps the wood from clanking into into, into each other, you know. And uh, but two, it actually just regulates everything. You know, it keeps it keeps the pipes equalizing at a at a manageable rate. So you keep that moisture in there, even if you've dried them out. You know, and like I said, I I, I lay them out and dry them for a while before I put them away. But at least whatever's in there is going to sort of stabilize um, with 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 the layers and the towels. So that's a good tip too. Cool. Uh, it looks like Adam's websites are back up and running. They were down for a little while, so you can go check those out. And then meanwhile, uh, I think that wraps us up for today. Thank you very much, Adam, for joining us and sharing some stuff. He starts, I think, next Tuesday at Tuesday, uh, 7. 7 o'clock, yep. I believe That's right. So. My pleasure. And, Thanks, uh, Yeah, it's great to have you with us, and hopefully lots of people will check that out. And if you're not a member of Dojo U yet, I think this seems like a good, as good a reason as any uh, to get signed up and start making stuff happen. So, um, <clears throat> so it would be great. And uh, – I guess that's it for today. So thanks very much for joining us, even though the microphones were all sorts of wild different levels today, but I think we sort of figured it out.